Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. You humans make a brave noise. There are ways to convince you of your errors. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. And I'm David Pizarro from Cornell University. Today we're actually joined once again by our honorary member of the Very Bad Wizards crew. We actually should get tattoos, guys. We should really. Or, I already got or, the tattoo. <laughs> uh, Yoel Imbar, who is uh, your... That ship has sailed for me. <laughs> so uh, Yoel Imbar, who is this year a visiting professor at Wharton School of Business, but normally in the Department of Psychology at Tilburg University. Hey, and thanks for having me back, guys. Yeah, uh, by popular demand. I think we got one or two people. I think your mom emailed us, like, uh-huh. please put Yoel back on. Yeah, I don't remember anyone emailing us. <laughs> I, have a, I have a small but very loyal fan base. <laughs> uh, all right, and uh, before we launch into what uh, this, this week's episode, which will be about the movie Straw Dogs, a little bit of business, right? Oh, was that a cue for me? (laughs) (laughs) We've been doing this for so Uh, long, we're just in sync. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a little bit of business. We want to thank a couple people have donated uh, using our big get gaudy donate button. We appreciate that a lot. Um, yeah. Really nice donations. No, you know, it, uh, those donations were actually somewhat significant. They certainly don't need to be any amount helps. Also, our Amazon link has been getting some traffic, but uh, I know it's always hard to to remember to do that. So please remember when you're shopping at Amazon to just go to our website first, click on the Amazon link, and then a cut of whatever you get will go to us. It's no extra money for you. Uh, we really appreciate that. We appreciate the new reviews on iTunes, and we've had a couple of those since the last episode, the new likes on Facebook, and the emails as well. Yeah. All this stuff is great. We really thank yeah. you we got very a, much. We got a really that. detailed uh, email about our, our uh, cursing and offensiveness, which we'll address. We, we didn't have time to, to address it in detail, but it, it merits some some. Addressing. I just saw it. Yeah. But yeah, it merits addressing. And we'll do that on the next episode, which I believe will be with Paul bloom right yeah if all if scheduling goes well scheduling goes well we will have paul bloom up next Uh, we'll talk about probably primarily that empathy piece he wrote for the new yorker but also some of uh, something about his new book on morality of babies that should be a really fun episode yeah i'm so glad i don't have to follow paul bloom (laughs) well (laughs) you know he's 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 i'm sure you could defend psychopaths just as well as he does i'm confident i would suffer from the comparison (laughs) i like being his opener i I think this one is one that is will be okay to follow (laughs) 
<laughs> since I, since it was very touch and go whether we were going to do this episode at all. But first, Yoel, it was a little unfair. You got to say on the grad school episode what you wanted to say about it, and then I just got to tear into it with uh, without you having any kind of a chance to defend yourself. So in the interest of fairness, here's your chance. Right. So basically I said in uh, my chat with David, well, that you should think about whether you're going to be able to get a job when you get out of grad school, and you should think about what your other options are before you decide to go. So what else could I be doing with a large chunk of my 20s? And that, right, and you should get a spreadsheet, right, that, that you well, put you should. all your different options on there and <laughs> you, a- add values, right, to so, like each one. T- and- Tamler, for some reason, thinks that actually thinking about costs and benefits is a reductio to your argument as in, instead of an actual benefit. <laughs> oh, you should think about it? <laughs> oh, you should think deeply? <laughs> so, yeah, I guess I, I just don't understand what, what's objectionable about that. Well, it wasn't the, the idea of thinking, yes, what else? could you be doing with your 20s rather than go to grad school? There's nothing objectionable about that in and of itself. It was the way you were describing it in terms of opportunity costs. And, you know, you weren't just saying, let's make a list, look at costs and benefits, see what my other options are. You had some very definite opinions that your options were likely to be much better doing anything else other than going to grad school in the humanities, right? Well, many people go to grad school in the humanities thinking that they're going to continue in an academic career, and the numbers are just not good for that. Yeah, well, that's true. The numbers are not good for it. There are a lot of careers where if you go into it, you're going to put in some work, and it's likely that it won't work out. Not every career has a 50% success rate, 70% success rate. But this is actually one career where even if it doesn't work out for you, it's still a pretty good way to spend your 20s. I mean, if I hadn't gotten a job and I'd had to leave philosophy, I would have had no regrets about going to grad school. Hmm. So, so you think that when people, you know, students, graduate students come in, they realize uh, how low their odds are of getting a tenure track job when they finish? Well, they realize it if they realize it now. It's not like this information is being kept in some secret vault in the, by the CIA, right? These people are adults. They're in their, they, they can make their own decisions. So it's sort of they caveat emptor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but now, I've, now it seems like you're taking an obvious point of mine and turning it into a reductio ad absurdum. No, I, I think that part of it is the, the optimism with which you express. It's, it's one thing to say, look, your, your chances are about 6%. For any given person now, you you can make all kinds of mental gymnastics to say, like, for the one person you're not talking about. Like, I mean, for the one person you're talking about, no, it's not 5%. You, you have to look about for yourself, yeah, right? No, look, look, I mean, just uh, that's how statistics work. On average, if you talk to somebody, like, that's what the statistic means. Obviously, for, Okay, right. so the, you're, the question is, are you okay with saying to somebody, look, these are the odds. I don't know anything about you. These are the odds. You should go for it. And if so, then that's cool. But that's that's just like saying, I guess, for somebody who wants to move to Hollywood and become an actor, saying like, "Hey, look, the odds are low, but you should go for it." If that's if it boils down to that, then what if your friend comes to you and says, "I want to get married," and you're like, "All right, sit down. Here's the deal with marriage: fifty percent or more of all marriages end in divorce. Among the fifty percent that don't end in divorce, a number of those people, uh, somewhere between ten and fifteen percent, are unhappy marriages. So you're looking at about thirty-five percent chance that you're going to have even a reasonably happy marriage. All that's true, right? But 
you wouldn't blame the person for thinking that they're needlessly trying to reduce something or bring in the, st- the statistic of the average American into some place where it didn't belong because we're talking about an actual person. Yeah, but wait, I, wait, wait, wait. There, there's the, or not actual There's talents. the step that's weird, where the, bringing yeah. in the statistic where it doesn't belong. If all you're saying is that you should use, and I remember actually with you all, we had this very conversation. Well, we have better statistics. What are the divorce rates for somebody who is educated, right? What are uh, divorce uh, rates for people who come from this, or in this socioeconomic status? They marry later in life. marry later in life. All of those things actually matter. It seems so weird to say that they're, they're real person therefore the statistics do don't episode. matter we should do a whole episode on this yeah but it's so weird to say that the statistics don't the matter individual. it's not what like oh it i should put off my the... marriage five years because then i have an extra 10 percent chance of not divorcing uh because starting when you marry at 32 the divorce rate goes down by 10 percent. right i mean that would make no sense to say to it's... yourself oh i so so now i should put off my marriage that's, right? well, that's just confusing the causal relationship yeah that's, that's a different <laughs> it's a mistake of inference that's not that doesn't invalidate the idea of listen you know i mean you do this stuff all the time when you go to your doctor and you say should i be put on this medication um should i be having these preventative tests or procedures done what they do is they look at statistical risk right like how at risk are you of this thing happening and in that light does it make sense for you to do this or that i mean i don't see what's controversial about this as a way of making decisions (laughs) it seems as if 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 it's the weirdest thing to say statistics don't matter because i'm an individual here I, I didn't say statistics don't matter. You said they don't said, apply to the individual. You can't think – of course they matter, right? It matters if you know 6% of the people are getting jobs or 70% of the people are getting jobs. Obviously, that matters. Here's what I think you should do. It is really, really, really hard, really difficult to get a tenure-track job. You should go into that eyes wide open knowing that. Yeah. Uh, and if you want to do it – but I think much more what you should be thinking about as you're making that decision. Uh, you, should ha- all, you should have that in mind. But do I love this? Will I be happy in graduate school? Is this something that I want to do and try to make work with the best uh, I can? And if it doesn't work out, then uh, – you, you know. See, I think that you're worried about something happening that's not even close to happening, which is people relying on statistics too much. I think the point of this is that if people – just yeah, even thought was saying don't, if just people in, don't even, go to grad school in humanity if people even stopped to think about the odds i think you would get a lot more quality decisions being made right so if people actually started to think about what their odds of not getting a divorce if they got married when they were 19 um then they would make better decisions i don't think that we need to like worry that people aren't going with their gut People are doing that quite a bit. Like, there's no concern that they're going to be making spreadsheets and that people aren't going to be able to find, you know, their love career or whatever. Well, that's, I mean, look, this is the exact same debate as like the sabermetrics debate in baseball. And I'm always on the side of the sabermetrics people. And so I think I don't know what what I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Well, of course, because you don't know shit about sports. I know. It's amazing uh, that you can't apply statistics to real life, but you're okay. (laughs) that you seem to understand uh, them in sports. (laughs) So basically, here's the thing. It depends on what you think people are doing right now. And I get the sense that the new sort of zeitgeist as Yoel and also Nina, much as I love her and loved that clip that she gave, the zeitgeist is stay away from grad school at all costs. I could just see that this is all because you're defensive. If that number puts the fear of God. was supposed to defend himself, not you defending a position you already like he's not uh, used to getting so bullied so i'm just trying to come to his defense but yes uh-huh. <laughs> uh well i don't know i mean it's 
it's sort of an open question how much people are thinking about this stuff. I, I think about when how I decided to go to grad school, how you, Tamler, decided to go to grad school, how David decided to go. We didn't think about uh, are we going to be able to get a job. We didn't think about how many people that go to our program were able to get jobs. That's just not something I even considered. And we had sort of the That's luxury, true. right, of doing that because back then – the job market was not quite as bad as it is now. And I think now you just have to be much more explicit about, about thinking about this stuff. And I, I guess you might be right that people do come in thinking about this stuff, but, but I feel like a lot of people are just, you know, don't think about it very carefully and are over-optimistic about their own abilities compared to everybody else's. And they think I'm smart, I'll work hard and don't think about that. Everybody else has that exact same plan. And so they may think that they have a much better shot at getting a job than they actually do. That's, that's well, if concern. that's true, then you are doing a service. I would agree with that. Uh, I, I, I get the sense talking to students that they're especially aware right now of the difficulty of the market because it is such a prevalent thing. And, you know, we also just the, – the, the, there wasn't a, as much talk about, you know, going to grad school in general at the time where we, when we were going to grad school, right? I mean it just wasn't – this thing that was out there as much. Yeah. Uh, we're also, you know, it wasn't, there weren't slate articles and New Yorker articles. And, you know, it seems like it's just all over the fucking place right now. Yeah. Just in the past couple of months though, but I, yeah. we are missing and we'll, we'll, we'll move on, but we are missing one key data point, which is, you know, we, we, what we have going here is sort of the anthropic principle for grad school, which is the people who have actually made it uh, to yeah. the point where they can talk about it are the ones talking. So it would be really interesting to hear from people who even 10 years ago went through the whole thing and were, and just never got a job um, and see, see whether they wish that they had actually done something else. Right. Yeah, no, yeah. that's right. I, I was going to, I was going to defend you for a second and say, it reminds me of, of the Han Solo quote, uh, never tell me the odds because <laughs> there is something to, it's almost as if thinking about the odds and taking them seriously might mean that you're not well, that you, you, you aren't committed. Um, I, I, I know that's what I was trying to say, uh, you know, a little bit in the episode yeah. also is that being kind of I don't you don't have to be stupidly naive and optimistic like I was but being confident and you guys know this cuz you're social psychologists unless this was made up data right that actually helps that actually contributes to your success yeah but it's a small piece of the pie compared well, to how much the the overall above average effect with people failing <laughs> yeah i mean it, re- it really depends on the scenario but i mean these poor people they have so little chance to begin with and you're hurting whatever chance they have I, I, by making them I don't, by I, telling them how small their chances are but that, that starts to get into the domain of the, the secret that if you just wish it to enough to be true that it will happen we gotta talk about this episode the topic of this episode right let's take a quick break and when we come back we'll uh we'll talk about straw dogs straw dogs
What was so funny with them? They just think you're strange. Why, because I'm an American? No. No. Just strange. Do you think I'm strange? Occasionally. You act like you're 14. for 12. How about eight? I freak out for eight-year-olds. <laughs> All right, so that's a clip from Straw Dogs. I don't know if I'd call it one of my favorite movies, but I, but I love... Th- I love that movie a great deal, and I've been wanting to do this episode for a long time, for about six months. And I think the first time I, I ever think... met you, you said, we should one day do a podcast and talk about Straw Dogs. That's how long you've been <laughs> right. talking about this. <laughs> I have to say, I was a little worried about Yoel being, he's kind of a sensitive soul, and That's this true. movie is not a movie for sensitive souls. <laughs> I, I like how Yoel gets accused at the beginning of being hyper-rational, and then of being super sensitive. <laughs> I contain multitudes. <laughs> do you have tears on your spreadsheets? <laughs> do you... <laughs> See that he's quoting Walt Whitman. How uh, how sensitive is that? Is that is that the guy from Breaking Bad? Walt Whitman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did remember though. Yoel, maybe you remember this, Dave, defending the the guy in Unforgiven for slashing the woman's face because she said he had a little pecker. <laughs> like, well, I mean, come on, what'd she expect? Yeah. You know? and he took his side uh, in Unforgiven. So I thought, well, he's not gonna. There's no way that he can get that bothered by anything that goes on in this movie. Then, but and then. All my fears about this episode were realized when I got emails for from you two, and especially Dave. <laughs> First, Yoel emailed me. It's like, I don't totally get it. Let's see. Did I, did I put this down here? It says, it seems related to the culture of honor research, the idea that if you don't stand up to British people after they murder your cat, <laughs> next they'll be raping your wife and burning your house down. But is that enough for a whole show, he says? <laughs> I mean, I think though that pretty much is enough for the whole show. But I think there's so much more to this movie than just that. And then, but the worst one was Dave. <laughs> Listen to his email. He says, "I finished up for Straw Dogs, but I must admit, I don't have the same reaction as you. I'm up for the episode, but I'm still not sure why you like it so much. As long as we don't do a third episode on revenge." Though I'm happy pointing out its misogyny and the parallels to <laughs> Home Alone. <laughs> I have to say parallels to home alone. that struck me independently. <laughs> now, now to be fair, it could be closer to Home Alone too. I haven't watched those in a while. <laughs> yeah, no, I haven't kept up with those. <laughs> so I, I get that email probably somewhere early afternoon or something like that, and then Jen comes home in the evening and she's like, "What's wrong?" I'm like, "Nothing." She's like, "No, what's what's the matter?" It's like, I'm just depressed. She's like, why are you depressed? And I couldn't tell her. You know, I couldn't say I'm depressed because Dave sent like a email, you know, comparing Home Alone and and Straw Dogs. Even though that was the reason. Like, if I, if I, I, it depressed me for like two days, him saying that. So at that point, I just thought we weren't going to do it. And then all of a sudden, I don't know why we're doing it. So I just couldn't, I just couldn't, I couldn't stand seeing you this way. 
you you were like not eating. Not, you must have you, you, you must have lost half a pound. <laughs> yeah, well, I was just I, was, I put it back on with the drinks. So. All right, so this is a movie directed by the great Sam Peckinpah, director of The Wild Bunch, phenomenal movie, and uh, The Getaway with Steve McQueen and Ally McGraw, many other great westerns. Um, this movie came out in 1971, I think 71 or 72, and it was his first non-western. Non-Western, technically, you could argue that it really is one, but in a different kind of setting. Uh, it's based on a novel called The Siege of Treacher's Farm. Dustin Hoffman plays David, American academic, theoretical mathematician of some kind. He's come with his young wife, Amy, who is played by the actress Susan George, who gives what I think is just a powerhouse and and very underrated performance for this movie. They come for a year to the to the Cornish village where she grew up. He's on some sort of sabbatical or something like that. Now, as, as, ostensibly, he's come to work on a book. We never find out exactly what this book is about. Amy tries to describe it to somebody else at one point, and he kind of cuts her off and says uh, something like, nice try. Uh, this is one of the first scenes where you... You see that he doesn't have a huge amount of respect for Amy's intellect. It's unclear what a theoretical mathematician, and sometimes he's, it's like he's doing astrophysics, right? Yeah, to be right. fair, they sort of they, they mush a bunch of sciencey egghead stuff together, and that's supposed they to be his. They do, and Yoel and I could have a separate episode on their understanding of binary numbers. How he totally misexplains binary. <laughs> <laughs> but let's not go there. We won't go there. Yeah, we won't. Yeah, go I there. noticed that too. That was that was really annoying. <laughs> In any case, you get hints all along the movie that one of the real reasons that David came out to this Cornish village is because he didn't want to take a stand on some of the big debates that were occurring in universities at that time. This was in the late 60s. It was kind of a momentous time to be on a college campus with all the Vietnam protests, civil rights movement gaining strength. And Amy uh, accuses him at one point early on in the in the in the movie of coming out to 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 live in this Cornish village really out of cowardice cowardice and not wanting to take a stand only wanting to live in his head uh you also get the sense that their marriage has been struggling and this was kind of a last gasp attempt to try to rescue that as well uh, fortunately, that is definitely not how it turns out. And in fact, right from the beginning, there's trouble brewing. An old boyfriend of Amy's named Charlie Venner uh, runs into them as they're in town. And as David goes into a bar to get some cigarettes, Charlie is already making moves on Amy. And David sees out the window that this is happening, and he doesn't do anything. The first in a series of times where where David doesn't choose to respond to something that really shouldn't be going on. So now they go out to the house that they're renting, which I guess is her dad's old house, um, where they have right now these two guys working, the British equivalent of townies, I guess. That's an insulting term, um, an offensive, an offensive term, and it clearly demarcates you as part of the haves, not the have-nots. Yeah, well, I I apologize to all people who live in the town that they grew up in. The, the two guys are trying to finish a garage, but they're really not doing much work, mostly because they're drunken deadbeats. They seem to be doing a lot more drinking uh, and leering than working. One of them is a rat catcher with a really fucked up, creepy laugh 
The other is some sort of carpenter, I guess. Maybe the creepiest guy in the whole movie. Uh, and this is a movie filled with creepy guys. And again, from the beginning, they're, they're, they're sort of leering at Amy, the rat catcher. <laughs> he steals her underwear. They, I guess he offers it to Norman. Norman says he doesn't want them. He just wants what's in them. And now, if that's not bad enough, the old boyfriend comes to sort of, quote-unquote, help them finish the job, along with some other generically menacing dude. And so now you have four guys outside their house just staring in constantly into their windows. A lot of window staring in this movie. Uh, supposedly working, but they're really just just posing this air of menace, staring at Amy and expressing nothing but contempt and mockery for David. I mean, from right from the very beginning, uh, they have no respect for him, and that's very clear. David puts up with a lot of slimy shit from these guys, sort of lets them insult him quietly, laugh behind his back, and already... You know, this is in the first part of the movie. You can see that Amy is very dis- disappointed in that. Um, this is like part of a pattern that that she doesn't like about him. Uh, but then at one point, things really start to escalate when the four guys, it's clear, kill the house cat. Uh, Amy at that point wants him to stand up to the to the to the men, stand up for the family, fire them, do something. But instead, as he's sort of going out to do that, he ends up somehow inviting them into the house and then agreeing the next day to go hunting with them. And now that turns out to just be a ruse, which brings us to the second biggest plot point and certainly the most controversial scene in the movie by far, which is the rape scene that we're going to talk about at length. So for now, let's just say that while David is out hunting, Charlie, the old boyfriend, comes in, forces himself on Amy, and then afterwards Norman the carpenter-like guy comes in and and does the same. Uh, Last big plot point, the siege of the house. For reasons we're not going to get into right now, David and Amy, on their way home, come across a a kind of semi-retarded man named Henry Niles who has some sort of maybe, possibly, child molestation past, we're never sure, and who is now suspected of murdering and possibly raping a young British girl. They don't know exactly what he's done, but he's injured. They they sort of ran into them with their car, so they take him into their house. And uh, the four guys and one of their uncles, who's the father of the British girl, they come in and demand that they give him up. They demand that they give up Henry Niles, let him out of the house, and, you know, they're clearly a drunken, angry mob. They're going to kill him, lynch him, do whatever. Uh, And for the first time, David, in this movie, takes a stand and refuses to give up Henry Niles. And then there's this big, violent, long confrontation uh, that's at the end of the movie as the five guys try to get in the house, and David tries to stop them. All right, that's it for plot summary. So, so Tamler set set up the tone well of the of the way that these people are living. They have kind of a troubled marriage. Um, there's a weird dynamic where he's doing a lot of uh, just work and ignoring her, and she's increasingly sort of dissatisfied. And uh, I think that she has nothing to do there, has, right? I, I mean, I, she, I don't she, think so. Yeah, she she it, she doesn't appear to have any like skills or hobbies or certainly no job. Right. She's, she's just kind trying of to learn around. chess. Oh yeah, she's trying to learn chess. She's trying. <laughs> And so sort of the key point of the key scene in the movie is this this very, very hard to watch, uncomfortable. I mean, no rape scene in a movie is going to be easy to watch, but this has to rank up there. Uh, you know, I, I can't remember and for reasons that we'll we'll talk about specifically why this is a particularly uncomfortable rape scene. And this is what Peckinpah got gotten probably in the most trouble 
for uh, or trouble criticism he got the most criticism about and this rape scene is is disturbing on many levels in but but there's two parts to this intensely disturbing rape scene i saw i've seen this movie many times but i always skip through that because I can't watch it again. I feel like you have to watch it once. And then this morning I woke up really early and I thought, I know we're going to talk about this. So I forced myself to watch that scene. I didn't fast forward through it again. But it, it, but there's two parts to it. The first is when her old boyfriend comes in and she initially, you know, she, she tells, she invites him in. He says, I'll go. And she says, no, have your drink. And then he forces her, himself on her. And I guess the really controversial part is that at one point in the middle of the rape, she seems to be, I, would, I wouldn't say enjoying it. Yeah, she, she seems into it. She, she seems, seems into, into it. it. She, into she it. seems into right. it at, at that one point. Now, then, after that, this Norman guy comes in, holds a gun to them and makes the the old boyfriend charlie hold her down while he does a just a brutal rape and what i guess you know it was described as sodomy it's not clear to me from watching it that that's what it is but it certainly could be i didn't now that was cut that part of the scene was edited in the original release of the movie. So where a lot of the criticisms were coming, they didn't see that second part. And I actually Wait, think... Wait, the whole that, second rape part? Yeah. So you never see that, that, that Norman comes in and does the second rape. Oh. So the last image you essentially get is of her seeming like she kind of is enjoying the rape of her old boyfriend. And that seems to me to be a lot more controversial because there's <laughs> yeah. a lot of that comes afterwards where she's clearly traumatized by what happened right. that won't make as much sense and that won't, I don't know, justify the, the, the brutality of the scene as much if you don't, if that part is cut, if the second part of the rape so, is cut. So here's one of the things that I think makes me so uncomfortable or made me so uncomfortable when watching it. Um, it and it, the moral ambiguity of knowing what to think about that first rape part, right, which I agree is is by far the more controversial one. I mean, it's one thing to just show to just show violence and just say right, like then it's like the accused. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. It's another thing to show her at, at like at first clearly rejecting it, then embracing it and clearly wanting it. And I was just I'm watching this and I, it, you always actually with me when I was watching uh, that scene and it was just like, "Wait, I can't believe I can't believe believe you showing that." Now, part of it is that I just don't am am I supposed to still hate him? Right. Am I supposed to think that this was a rape that turned into a, a pleasurable sexual encounter? Am I supposed to think of it as rape anyway? Am I and and that now I can see why if that second rape scene uh, is taken away, it just sort of leaves even more ambiguity. But even with that second rape scene, now I have this contrast effect where I'm like, okay, clearly the second guy right. was, that was rape, was forcible. Rape. That was rape, right. rape, right? And the first one, um, you know, he was being tender in no, some no, way. He touched her face. Yeah. No, no, no. It was still rape. He's still like slapping her and like forcing her down. And yeah, although, although it's, if you just saw, if you didn't see the beginning of that scene, if you just saw the part where they're having sex, you might think it's just sort of rough sex, right? Yep. It's sort of role playing. 
and yep. right. And so, I mean, you might, but but you did see the first part of that scene. I so, mean, nobody's like joining in in the middle. Ooh, no, what's going no, on no, here? No, but my point is simply that from the cues that she's giving off, it's still unclear whether at that moment. It's unwilling. Yeah. Right? So here's my problem with it's not that just the rape per se. It's the way it fits into the rest of the movie where I feel like what the movie is trying to say is women only respect dominance, right? She doesn't like her nebbishy husband because he won't stand up to the, you know, British thugs. Wait, what's that word? What's, nebbishy? nebbishy. <laughs> what that's the that? Jewish that's a, word. Oh, that's because you're an anti-Semite. I'm, I'm, a, no, I'm a goy. <laughs> a nebbish <laughs> is uh, like Woody Allen is a nebbish, sort of. <laughs> God, how come you never told me that word before, Kendall? I would have been using the shit out of it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to give you that weapon. You have enough. Yeah, sorry, man. And and so this guy then comes in and and forces himself on her and she resists at first but then she you know then she enjoys it and then right. this is well, getting you know, a- dude, let's dude, let's not forget this is her old boyfriend right yeah this is somebody well, that I, she's I, had sex with wait, before so what does that mean well she that doesn't I mean I I don't see how that it, I'm not saying it justifies the rape but I'm saying that she wanted that old thing back is that what you're saying. No, well, she she has uh, sent some mixed signals to him throughout this, right? Walking when she was mad at her husband, walking topless upstairs where she knew that right. uh, those guys could see. It. She's so. What's the upshot of that? So, so the upshot of that is that you know I think especially as as Yoel said with being frustrated with with David for for a ton of reasons and and a frustration that you see didn't just start. When he's not standing up, that was part of a pattern right. that he's not standing up to these guys at the beginning. That was part of a pattern that you can see goes all the way back to him in the States, not standing up for what he believes in in an academic context. Yeah. Right. And then here's her old boyfriend who's he can he can put a hammer and a nail. He knows how to actually build things. He knows he doesn't just write on chalkboards all day. Right. It's not totally like it, it would have just seemed cartoonish. Right. If she had just. This is what makes it so ambiguous and disturbing. But so, so I, I think that though that you, you guys are both saying a very similar thing. It's just that you're concluding different things from it. So I think that that y'all's point, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that is that that she clearly wants the strong that that sort of masculine dominant man. And so I, she's already ups- – you can tell from I don't, the get-go. I don't totally agree with that. Well, but that's, that seems to be the, Yeah, that seems to be the source of her dissatisfaction with, with the Dustin Hoffman character, which is he's weak. He can't, he can't put a nail in a, to a hammer, a hammer to a nail. He can't you know, stand up for himself. He's not a man. And he, you but can tell that – there's a gap between David and, and dominance, right? There's just somebody that's willing to take a stand. And well, that's not, and that's willing not to be pushed, well, and that won't can, let can himself we, be pushed around constantly. Can we skip right? ahead? That to doesn't the, mean that she likes dominance. Well, just because she doesn't like a guy who's a coward. Let's let's just skip ahead a minute to the the end of the movie where David sort of turns into a badass, and she they're under siege in this house. And she wants to go out the front door to her ex boyfriend. At which point he grabs her by the throat. David does and tells her, "Do as you're told, or I will break your neck." And then she's like, "Okay." Yeah. You don't get the sense she's happy about that. I she acquiesces. I, she acquiesces cuz she has to. I think that's a very that's a very deliberate point by the director, right? To 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 have her finally that's him 
That's him finally being a man. Becoming and a man. Becoming exactly. a man. It's that's like how you his, become a man. It's like his, oh, his little bar that's mitzvah. That's such a misreading of the uh, – I totally disagree with that. Like that's such a simplistic way of viewing that ending. But like, can we uh, – I think it's a fairly I, I, complex way We're jumping around so it, much. Let's, let's talk about the cat. So for, they've been giving off – so these workers are working in the house. They don't seem – they seem to be goofing off. They're drinking, looking into windows, and just being generally creepy. Clearly they're right? union workers. <laughs> just a bunch of teamsters <laughs> yeah. you know i we cut out of the last episode but you're clearly like viciously anti-union no um, well yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah so so they're not really doing any work and they're just taking it adv- not only taking advantage of david but they're clearly like you know posing some sort of threat and he just looks out of windows all the time. There's so much looking out and into windows in this movie. Like, right at the beginning, he looks out the window while her old boyfriend has her arm, has his arm around her. He doesn't do anything. Am I recalling correctly that, that at first she told him that that, that, uh, that wasn't her ex-boyfriend? Did she well, that, that, that nothing had that nothing happened. had ever happened, right? Yeah, okay. yeah. And then they have a you know they have a nice little. It's, what's also brilliant about the movie is they have a couple of nice little scenes and the kind of playful scenes in the beginning of the movie. Yeah, like that's where he's like standing on the car and she's laughing and and they have a couple of very moving scenes where you can see why these two love each other in the first place right. too. It's not an un- uh, it's not unreasonable to see why it's it's a, it yeah. seems like there are good moments to their relationship. And- yeah, absolutely. In fact, one moment right where they're about to have sex and there's a uh, the, the 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 these two British teens who you only later find out are brother and sister are like cuddling and looking through the window at them having sex and that just again it just gives off this this movie gets under your skin it just but but the big thing that happens they are looking for the cat they can't find it and they're actually having a nice night she says i need you right now and he says well i'm here for you or something something very moving and just he goes in and he 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 opens the closet door and the cat is just hanging. De- uh, I never I never lit. considered that as a way to kill a cat. It seems, it seems you know I I just <laughs> like a it's like a ritual hanging. It's like an, a lynching of a cat. Like, it was it a seems like it would take cat, a exactly. lot of effort to get a cat still enough to like. Put them- <laughs> And that's what – and she just says, look, this is Norman and that rat catcher. And he says, no, I don't believe that. I mean, you know, we leave the doors unlocked. It could be anybody. And she says to him, are you telling me that a perfect stranger would come into our house and hang our cat? She's like, no, they're proving to you that they can get into our bedroom. He's like, I don't believe it. And then she sort of, she says, look, you have to, you have to tell them. Uh, you have to you have to fire them or you have to get them out of here. Uh, you have to challenge them about what they did to the cat. And he doesn't – and he goes out. She's looking out the window. He's lighting their cigarettes, right? Yeah. All of a sudden they come in. There's this look on her face like while she's in the kitchen by herself and, and he's out there and trying to figure out how to deal with the situation without actually accusing them of doing something that he knows that they did. Even if he doesn't want to admit that he knows that, that that they did, and there's this look on her face, like, "Oh my God, I've married a total coward," and he's so despicable in these scenes. He's right. A, he's he's a, so despicable. He's part of the ugliness of the movie is is his character. I mean, his, it, his I mean, by, by 
not his character as in his role. I mean, his the character of the character, right? The, the fiber of this guy is just... First of all, can we rewind a little bit to when he finds the cat scene as, as I was watching this with Yoel? Oh, it's, yeah. I don't know if this is intentional or just a poor reading of human behavior, but you find you, your, your wife is distressed because your cat's disappeared. You open the closet door. The cat is hanging there, right? What's your reaction as, as the significant other of somebody who's going to be really torn up about this? Is it to just walk over and, and be like, well, go look for yourself? <laughs> right. Check like, out what's in our closet. It's like, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead and check out the hanging cat. Like, no, it would be like immediately say, close the door and say, you don't want to see this. I'm going to take care of it. Like, I'm sorry. Something bad has happened. But that's so not his character he's just to do that. So, it's so, and I can't tell whether he's malicious or just a fool. It seemed right? over the top. It seemed over the top, yeah. Yeah. It's it's not like first of all, he's shocked. Like he he just sits down stunned, right? Agreed, but you know, it's not something you see every day is your cat. Yeah, but isn't you wouldn't your inclination in your be to like hide it from your Of wife? course yeah. that would be my inclination, but that's not this is a deep part of his character. This is why we're never on board with him, right? We're just never we you know, even though the guys you don't have any sympathy with the guys no. who are bullying him. But this is why like I, I, I think that that, you know, your reading of the ending where it's like, oh, he's finally a man now. He's finally proved himself is just no, I, mean, not, so I, I, don't, this, I don't feel that at all. Well, maybe this is a point of a real difference here in the reading of these characters. And I don't know what you all you think about this, but you seem to think that this is reflecting some deep truth about humanity. And I, I view them all as sort of caricatured. I, I don't know what I don't know what the Dustin Hoffman character is saying. I don't know anybody like that. I don't. Yeah, it uh, it seems you like you don't know this, anybody like that. This distorted cartoon yeah. of how, and this is why I thought See, the culture of I, honor stuff was was relevant, right? Yeah, like somebody who believes in that stuff, who believes that you need to stand up to slights, you need to stand up to even trivial insults, because if you don't, people will come fuck with right. you. Right. And so he's kind of the cartoon of the guy who doesn't do that. Right. right from that perspective, that's what all these liberal egghead wimps are like. You know, yeah. they just have no backbone, no spine. They're they ultimately flew the country in Vietnam. Right, worthless. Yeah, and, and so I think it's it's fascinating because I think that is what Peckinpah, who you know, I mean, famously directed westerns where there's a lot of the same code going on. Right, there's no law, so you have to be as kind of aggressive uh, and uh, as easily offended as possible in order to signal that you're not a person to be fucked with. And so to that sort of person, I'm sure that a normal human being, like we all are, looks kind of weak and pathetic. Because but but it's he, like, he's not, we're, we are not honor culture people, right? But, but he we is, are not I, like him. I, I think that's, I, I think that's, that's what he thinks. Yeah, Peckinpah is, is, is thinking that he's turning a mirror to us. I don't think he is. I, I, I don't think he is at all. I think he's turning a mirror to, to, to some people. You don't know people like him. I, th- I found him a very real kind of despicable character that, that I think is somewhat prevalent in our field. When, I don't I, find I, him a look, cartoony character I mean, at all. When's the last time you guys had to stand up to somebody who was, you know, threatening to hang your cat? Or like a tenth of threatening to hang your cat. When's the last time you had to stand up to somebody, period? Who was trying to fuck with you? Well, I mean, I don't know, a, a couple, two or three years ago. But the point is, whether, whether whether we are put in that position or not, the question is, what would you do if you are put in that position? I guess, I mean, it's not entirely like, fair do you to know say people, that I don't, I, I don't understand what you're saying, Yoel. Are you saying that this is how we really would act in those kinds of situations? Or are you saying this is a ridiculous caricature of how just people like us... 
I, I don't get. I don't get what your point is. Right. I, I'm saying that asking the that. the whole framing of the movie is what's interesting about it to me is I feel like this is how somebody who comes from a culture of honor defend your your reputation perspective would view kind of modern people like David is kind of a, a, a modern person. He doesn't, you know, avenge slights against his honor fiercely. And to that, to somebody with that mindset, which I think Peckinpah very much is in that mindset, what he believes happens is that um, you get fucked with, that terrible things happen to you because these people sense that they can now take advantage of you. And, and to that sort of a person. What do you think would happen in a, in a Cornish working class village uh, or Cornish working class not, town. If not you that. To They're not going to come hang slightest. your cat. Not that. They're absolutely not going to come hang your cat. <laughs> I, okay, I'm sorry. This isn't a freaking documentary. But can can you see that maybe they that's would we take were advantage of your wife? Because we were arguing that it ought to be a documentary. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but no. But does, don't I you get – I didn't want this to turn into you guys bashing the movie. We're not bashing the movie. You're just, you're just accusing all of our views on the movie as not nuanced enough. So why don't you present your positive claim? Because to me it seems like a very reasonable take on the movie and that wouldn't take away from it. It would be the perspective of a director, as you all says, who's defending an honor culture and saying, like, this is what happens when you're such a wuss, right? So, so I think yeah. there are two parts of the movie where she seems satisfied. One is in the middle of the first rape, and two is when he finally tells her what to do at the end. No, she – in what sense does she seem satisfied? Like, this, like yeah, everything is right end. in the world. Yeah, I, remember, I, 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 I don't see that at all. He she's, asks her, she's are crying. you okay? She's, she's telling him not to do that. She's telling him, I want to give this guy up. I mean, we don't even, you know, people don't even know what we're talking about unless they've seen the movie. But that she, she, at no point does she seem satisfied with what he's doing. Right, so, she's submitting to it at times because she has to. So what is Peckinpah's point about human nature that you seem to think that, that we're not getting? So, so to give you a chance, look, you know. here is a guy who refuses. And, and to me, this this looks like and, and not not you guys or I, I don't know. Yoel, but I do think Yoel is capable of taking a stand. At least he takes a stand that nobody should get a Ph.D. in humanities. <laughs> and if you if you put them in another context, in one context, they might be fine in, in academia. Uh, but if you put them in another context and you refuse to stand up to just little slights, right? You're right that this is – I think Yoel is absolutely right that this is an honor culture kind of thing. Actually, I have a, a quote here from my honor culture paper, which is – this is the among the Albanian Highlanders. If you allow sort of petty little insults, if you don't take any kind of revenge, then you're thought to be dis- low class and bad and among the Highlanders, he risked finding that other men had contemptuously come to sleep with his wife. But if he does, then he retains his honor, right? So he has to show at the beginning, before the threat gets too big, he has to show. And this is, this is part of the point, right? If he had just taken a stand at any little point before it escalated, then it wouldn't have come to that final scene, right? And he even says that. He says, they've come too far now. Right. They've come too far to turn back. 
at that point, there's nothing he can do but, you know, engage in this, you know, crazy final attempt to defend his house against against them. So but if he had taken little stands right at the very beginning, just kicked them out, fired them for just being deadbeats, for looking in the window, for making lewd remarks, for staring at his wife okay. instead of defending them for staring at his wife because she wasn't wearing a fucking bra. Okay, okay uh, but wait, hold, just hold, hold on because – Oh, it seems like we're agreeing about this. Yeah, it does. I mean, I don't, I don't know seems why like you're getting really so animated page. about this. All, all you're saying is the same exact thing that you all saying is just that you're concluding something different about the value of that message. Yeah, I guess I don't see why you denigrate the value. I think it's an important message, even when people aren't hanging cats in your in your closet. It's an important message that you have to show some courage and 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 one that I would think you would agree with. Dave, I, I, I guess that I, I yeah, I think that you should stand up for yourself. I, it seems like a cautionary moral tale of not standing up for yourself that seems excessive. I, I mean, what can I say? Like, so of course, precise. I believe in standing up for yourself. Like, more, more than once, like I've 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 argued this very thing that like you should know you shouldn't sort of let somebody walk all over you or if somebody insults your wife at a bar like that's fine i just it just seems like a an odd like she's pushing for him to be a stronger man throughout the whole movie he doesn't he's weak and it seems like it, and at the end you're gonna have to pour boiling oil on someone's head to redeem yourself and that just doesn't there's it, no that, redemption though that's the thing that, that, that i think that, we disagree on that I that, think that I think we, we do, yeah. Yeah. must disagree on, but we, let, let's take a frame. break and we'll talk about let, let's talk about that. Let's um, about about the ending uh, after a quick break. exactly the reason I came here in the first place. Are you saying you'd be happier if we hadn't left? We left because I got a grant to do work, which I haven't found the time to do. You left because you didn't want to take a stand. Commit. Commit to what? Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. Um, after a, a breather, I think uh, Tamler went into his corner, got a little back massage from... from <laughs> <laughs> from uh from Rocky's trainer. He spit into a bowl. Spit the- <laughs> and, and now he's he's back. So there we're we're missing a, a crucial plot point which is um what's the name of this character the the mentally challenged one? Uh Henry Niles. Henry. So Henry Henry and this very British looking girl. Again, I don't remember the name. Um uh, which uh, one? The the sort of slutty 
15 yeah, year old with, yeah. the, with the British right. teeth. There's a little low, she has right, she's such a classic British girl. It's in, hilarious. In fact, in fact I, ha- I, I was like that look. There's something about that look. So I, I, when we were watching the movie, I went, I looked up the actress. Those teeth are the same. She never paid for any, yep. any corrective yeah. surgery. She, does she not, looks like a 60-year-old with those teeth. Yeah, she <laughs> isn't hot anymore, sad to say. You thought she was hot in the, in the movie? Oh, yeah, you didn't. Yeah. Uh, she was she, she was 15 right. this is the thing okay, is like, yeah, I'm always on she this, was only even 15. though I have by far more respect for women than either of you two I always somehow am <laughs> defending misogyny <laughs> I don't know how that keeps happening I don't know I'm not a racist weird... I just somehow always find myself hating black people <laughs> you, you guys should cut out the part about how I said the 15 year old was hot though. I didn't realize she was that young <laughs> I didn't know. I thought she was supposed to be 18. It's going to start it's going to start the episode. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, so the reason I bring up uh, I bring that up is because there's this sort of subplot where this little Lolita character is is kind of flirting with with the Dustin Hoffman character yes. David. Um there there's there's clearly she likes she's him. clearly and it makes it I guess it just makes him uncomfortable. But, yeah, no, he seems but, happy. He, he, yeah, he, he seems, seems happy, yeah. although he kind of uh, at the at He's the satisfied. church he turns her down, right? He kind of yeah. right, well, well, in right front there. of his wife, yeah, yeah. And then uh, there's this mentally disabled character who who ends who they end up having a little dalliance. Is it in the? It's in the church. Yeah, yeah, I was hoping you would help me out with that. I don't know where that is, but it's somewhere sacred yeah. in the church where like wafers yeah, or like water is being turned into wine or wafers <laughs> are being turned into the blood of Christ. Or right, right. It's in that, it's in that special room, yeah. <laughs> the special room where Jesus' body goes to crackers and then back to Jesus' body. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, but she goes um, to him after David sort of snubs her. Um, mm-hmm. And she goes to him, and this is a guy. He's not just mentally disabled, but he clearly has a history of some. We never find out exactly what he did, but some sort of inappropriate behavior with children. And the townspeople right. are all on high alert for this guy. In fact, this is crucial to understanding the very last scene, right? So uh, he ends up. Do we see what he does? He he just strangles her by mistake. I, is it like of mice and men kind of? Yeah, thing? that's exactly what I thought it was. Yep. It was yeah, like. Yeah, uh, yeah. She she sort of she kisses him. I mean, like she's 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 torturing this poor guy because he clearly has a problem controlling himself, and that comes out also a little bit later. And she, you know, is kissing him and putting her, his hand on her breast, and and then uh, and then they they're looking for her, and he's trying to protect her, but he holds her really tight and and ends up killing her. Right. So this would be a clear case of somebody who. Who, who their defense would be that they're just so mentally disabled that they didn't intend to kill. So the reason that the men all surround their house, their cottage, in the end is because this kid is fleeing and he's hiding, right? So he's, he's, he's hiding out in the house. They all know he's in there. They know that he – well, they don't know what he's done to the girl because they haven't found her yet. Right. right. In fact, the, the, the uncle the, – the, her father is just this ugly drunk. I think his name is Tom. And even when she's missing, he's just going into the bar with, with pretty much everybody else just – and making the, her brother look for her without actually looking for her himself, right? They're just getting drunk to figure out what to do when they find 
the guy, like how they're going to kill him. Right. So essentially, they they essentially form a drunken lynch mob yeah. um, looking for this kid. They surround the house. Well, they're getting increasingly he's, drunk. He's, he's, yeah, or he's yeah, unmanned. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, he's getting – they're all getting increasingly drunk and they start they, – they, they start yelling, bring him out. Now, well, if uh, they let him out – Did you mention that he's at uh, David's uh, – Dustin Hoffman's house? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so he's, he's hiding out in their house. They know that if they open the doors and let those drunken townies, as you say, uh, come in, that they're going to kill him at best, right? Um and so, so he's here now. He's trying to stand up for the kid. I guess this is a moral stance that he's taking. He knows he can't he can't let this happen. But think about the moral um, stance that he's finally taking: protecting a child molester yeah. from somebody <laughs> who just killed. Like that again. Like Peckinpah's very well aware of the absurdity of this being the stand that he's finally taking. Right, right. His his cat has gotten killed, and his wife has been raped, but. God damn it! No one's touching this molester, <laughs> murder. Um, and so, okay, so that's that's the that's how the final scene sort of ensues. And then, and what happens is it's basically turns into a, a, a tower defense <laughs> um, with uh, the the drunken men getting increasingly rowdy, finally break, starting to break windows and and starting to kick down doors. And they realize that they have to, they're going to have to fight back. So this is the part that I disparagingly referred to as the Home Alone sequence. (laughs) Because all of a sudden, all of a sudden, David becomes this creatively violent man that, that something clicks in him. And now this is actually something interesting psychologically because I read a couple of reviews. uh, One of them was saying uh, what, what he is showing, what Peckinpah is showing us is that any man put in the right situation just will become a violent killer right so the weakness and maybe this is part of peck and Pa's point the weakness is is a front that society is making us put on because once once he's finally threatened once he's pushing a corner uh he turns into you know he starts fucking putting bear traps he's on like steven seagal right? <laughs> he's like but starts like you, you take some planning he's like starts boiling oil you know and waiting for it to boil and so that he can use it right at the right time i really was i was waiting for an ewok trap like i was waiting for him to just put two logs, <laughs> two logs to <laughs> well, one reviewer also referred to the chekhov's bear trap <laughs> <laughs> like you knew yeah. from the very that's that, right. that 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 is in the mm-hmm. very beginning of the movie, and then it has a prominent. You do not thing in introduce the be- a bear. <laughs> that bear trap yeah, the rule. is killing that's somebody at some point. You, you no don't question. introduce a, a bear trap unless you're going to use <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> um, so so yeah, I actually don't remember if there's any foreshadowing. Does the guy that actually gets caught in the bear trap is he one of the ones that helps open the bear trap? I think yep. so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, of course. <laughs> So, so this whole time, the the wife is saying, "Just give him up." Yeah. Just, I don't care. Just give him up, which is kind of an interesting flip because she's been at telling him to stand up for himself this whole time. But I think it's a right one where she's like, "Oh, now, right? Like now, this is your stance." Like, <laughs> exactly. I think that is partly her. You know, that's her problem. That's why I don't think she ever fully respects him, in spite of the fact that he's never. all of a sudden. And I agree. This, if you wanted to criticize the movie based on this, I could. You know, I I, I I have some sympathy with it because all of a sudden now he's just too much of a badass at the end of the movie. So do you think Peckinpah is trying to make this point about about at the end of the day, men are just all 
violence machines? I don't know. I mean, this is based on a novel, and the novel, e- even though this is such, this is a like takes twenty minutes in the movie. It's apparently even takes more of a percentage of the novel. This final scene. <laughs> Uh, so he actually he was actually restrained compared to the novel with this with this final scene. What is it trying to say? I'm not totally sure. I'm sure what I what I don't think it's trying to say, which is he's taking a stand. He's finally being a man, and you know this is some kind of happy ending where he's learned his lesson. Like that's I, I think definitely yeah. not the message. But what no, the message I, is, I I'm agree. not sure. I think that maybe what he's what he's doing here is saying like this is what happens. You've let this sort of stay brewing inside of you this whole time. You've been a wuss and now when it comes out you you just go you go, you know, balls out with your violence and like maybe this is a reason why we should just you know, it fitting with the theme of like had he only intervened earlier this never would have happened. Except right? that, you know, so the the only problem I have with that is, like, look at what happens, you know, is that they really, like, there's nothing that he does that would be hard to defend, right? They are trying to attack his house. They're trying to kill him. He's yeah. defending himself, and he's defending the house, and he's, uh, you know, and, and he's not trying to give to a lynch mob. He's not trying to give up a guy who he's not totally sure what this guy did exactly, you know? If it's, if, if, if it's like a cautionary tale, then it's also, that's undercut by the fact that you don't totally have a problem with anything that he's doing either. It seems unrealistic <laughs> given his character, but but morally, you don't have a problem. I mean, do you? Maybe it's the moral tale that, like, just don't let shit get this bad, right? He let it get this bad. He let it get to the point where he was going to have to go home alone on their ass. Maybe. Or maybe it's just that something has to happen in the movie that's, you know, cool. Like, that's what I was like. I was so stoked at the, the, the British guy with the annoying laugh, the rat catcher guy. Yeah. When he yeah. finally, like, beats oh. the shit out of him with, like, a poker or something, I was like, yeah. oh, awesome. That guy's yeah. finally getting his. Yeah, that guy yeah, was, in some ways, the most evil. He oh, was just. He was the, the worst. He, I really. I, I was. Rats, I wanted I the, bad stuff to happen to that guy. He has yeah. a he has a couple of like lines, you know, where he comes in at first and he just says, "I realized, you know, I I, I think I'm closer to rats than I am to anybody else." <laughs> yeah, and then right. he has that famous "rats is life," and then the his weird like <laughs> that laugh, yeah. you know, that laugh. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, the movie is, I'll, I'll, I'll give it that it's great at, like, ratcheting up that tension, and then you really do want it released, you know? And so then there has to be this kind of, like, explosion of violence at the end, or else right. it's just a frustrating And that's part experience. of it, too, right? Like, exactly what Yoel said, which is, I think he's, and, you know, this is what Tarantino sometimes defended as doing. It's looking in a mirror at ourselves. Why do we need this kind of thing to happen? at the end because although i don't think it's supposed to be a satisfying happy ending where everything gets resolved and he's finally been a man there is definitely a bunch of satisfying things that happen in that movie you're like fuck yeah finally yep you know like especially like the the, the I, rat catcher but then norman being shot by the by charlie by one of the other guys because he's trying to rape he's trying to rape his I, wife again yeah. <laughs> <laughs> by the way like how little sense does that make you know they're in a know. fight to the death against this guy and he's like oh i'll just stop off here and rape this woman uh, real quick uh, so i think if if i'm going to attribute a lot to peg and paul which maybe i should be attributing more to it it's it's the it's 
it would be the the that stroke of saying at the very end when everything's happened and i think at one point even though it's before he finally kills everyone he's like i killed them all right like he's looking at the carnage he's like i killed them all the fact that he didn't yeah the 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 fact that we we might have been enjoying that whole that whole sequence um, because it's like oh yeah come up and now at the end we're left with we're left with this sense of emptiness we're like wait was I really just rooting for like a guy to get his head cut off with a bear trap yeah how is how is it that everything ended up so that I'm rooting for such a horrible horrible se- sequence of events to occur yeah I don't know if he meant that but but I can see that being like a, a pointing the finger well, especially at the since there's still a guy alive he doesn't kill the you know the last person yeah. he's gonna die if his wife doesn't shoot the last guy and right. i'm not sure who that last guy is he's the other he's not the rat catcher he's not norman and he's not charlie he's the other guy who doesn't who just is has a more generic sort of menacing role to play and, and so she's faced she actually delays a little bit right in her shooting yeah. Uh, yeah, and he's actually getting attacked. He's is he getting choked at the moment? And he's like, shoot! Guys like, like trying him. to pull him down the stairs. Yeah, and she's like, yeah. shoot him, shoot him! And like that's one of those where you don't want your wife to delay. <laughs> I know. What's, what's there to think about? <laughs> like, what is it's she like pondering? That, I like mean, that you know, like quote, who can like, blame her? You know, yeah. I think just the fact that she did it at all is you know impressive. But here's why it's definitely not a happy ending, right? I mean, the final scene. Of so he leaves her right. He asks her if she's okay. She says yes. They're not even really looking at each other, and he goes off with the the child molester, driving off into a car. The child molester, the the retard, somewhat retarded child molester, says, "I don't know my way home." And he, Dustin Hoffman, says, "Well, I, I, that's okay. I don't either." And that's the end of the movie right there. Right? I mean, yeah. so there's no way you're supposed to think oh yes he's finally become a man and now everything's good right in that sense it's different from the sort of classic revenge sort of even the Django Unchained where you're just like everybody got their just due there was no other way to do it and he's riding off on horseback with his fiance like it's totally in that sense I think it's a much more complex movie than Django Unchained in that sense oh for sure you know Uh, yeah I mean or ending Django Unchained is very simple in that respect they and you know, one thing I do want to, to – I keep forgetting that I want to talk about was the horrible ineptitude of the law, right? At no point – at no point – so a reasonable person would say, like, the police should be taking care of right. some of this shit, right? At no point does the law get involved in, in a way that's, that's good, right? So the, the sheriff ends up getting shot at the end. Sorry, spoiler. Um, and uh, and it, before that didn't do much good anyway. They don't the, – the town doesn't seem to respect the, the law no. at all. Yeah. Um, Which is a a, a feature of honor cultures, where there's very weak or no... uh, Exactly. Like, it's up to you. There's no laws. So so I ran across this quote last night, actually. I've been reading the, I guess, fairly recent book from Steve Pinker about... Oh, yeah. uh, called The Better Angels of Our Nature, about kind of the history of violence. And he says, dominance is an adaptation to anarchy. Hmm. When you can't rely on the law, that's when you need to demonstrate that you're a badass, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I, I think, I, I think that's true. But I also think that – and I think this is maybe Peckinpah's uh, – an insight you can draw from the movie is that even when the law is strong as it is for us, you can't just completely be submissive and, and cowardly. 
that you there are still going to be times where you need to take a stand, you know, even if it's not as extreme uh, as this as as this kind of situation. I mean, here's sort of the other thing I, I, I kind of wanted to talk about because we're academics and I think you have this fear sometimes of like I you feel like a little inadequate of not being able to put shit together, not being able to build things, not being able to you know, and then when somebody comes over to your house to do something for you or to, to like fix a door that you could easily fix if you took like two carpentry classes, you know, <laughs> and you feel kinda like Jesus Christ, what the fuck is wrong with me? And 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 you try to sometimes overcompensate in a way I think that like David's by making your to do. equations even better. What? By what? Like you make making your equations even better. No, by by like, like on, talking on the to the guy and being like, yeah, you know, I, I used to do a little bit of this. Right, or, <laughs> you know, it's just like I think the the sort of emasculating aspect of that is drawn out. And then I think it brings out the worry is you know, I don't ever have to really take a stand to defend my house. And def- but what if I did? Would I be up for it? You know, what that this is the kind of uh, fears that I think this draws out of you. I guess I guess any moment we might we might be faced with a need to rise to that challenge. But it does seem a little it seems a little bit like antipathy toward the Dustin Hoffman character, though, in a way that that. I just I I I, I kind of want to refuse the the endorsement of his point because I don't know. What do you think, you all? Uh well, I just I just can't relate. I mean, I'm I love fixing doors. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think totally seriously, um I, this is no not really a scientific question anymore, but well, maybe it is. Maybe it's a question that can be answered with data. To me, it seems that this inclination to to take your honor seriously and to avenge slights does more harm than good when we live in sort of large groups, right? So if somebody, let's say, like cuts you off on the uh, while you're driving and you can just shrug it off, you're probably never going to see that person again. There's going to be no consequences. But if you take this line of thinking seriously, you know, you get out of your car, you get in the guy's face, maybe you get in a fight. That's how people get shot. That's how people get killed. That's why the murder rate in the South is dramatically higher than it is in the North. Well, I mean, I'm sure it's not the only reason, but it's part of the reason but, that people take these sort of slights seriously. And sometimes that escalates into serious violence. Well, yeah, so but there's also ma- a, you're married, right, Yoel? I am. What if somebody insults you? You're at a bar and somebody says something insulting about your wife, or somebody tries. Has to that ever come happened to your you? wife? What has 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 anybody ever insulted I, no, your wife? No, I mean, at a bar? yeah, like when I, when I was a little younger. But we would go in. There have been times where I've gotten into bar fights because I thought somebody was saying something disrespectful about either my wife's or their sister. I remember this one. This one time, this happened in Holland. Where I was with, yeah, and the guy was like, I don't even remember if I was fighting about that or I was fighting about something. I used to get, I, I, I used to, uh, and this guy was like seven feet tall. Like he could yeah, have killed big. me. He could have killed me with his bare hands. No, they're wusses though. They're wusses. But, yeah. <laughs> All right, you, you, you know that. I mean, he wasn't going to. You're right. As, as often when I, like, although I've. I've tried to start bar fights or been in them <laughs> never actually escalates because it's, you know, like it's kind of like embarrassing for them. Yeah, no, of course you shouldn't get somebody cuts you off at the highway. Yeah, that's not a time to take a stand. But there are times to take a stand. And so I think, yeah, Peckinpah seems to be saying, like, don't turn it off as much as you've been turning it off. I, yeah. in, in, in some ways, it's a little fight, fight club esque where it's like you've been ignoring this aspect of, of what it means to be a man. 
And I, I'm not, I don't know what that balance is. Like I, I also kind of don't want to be insulted and not enough, you know, like when, when someone called my sister a bitch in a bar, like I, I challenged them to a fight, you know, it, it's stupid and I don't want to fight. And I'd rather be at the chalkboard writing equations. But like there's some part about me that doesn't that feels like I'm less of a person if I don't stand up for myself. But on the other hand, like Peg and Paws, it does seem like a moralistic tale that will get us more in trouble. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I would argue that's that's irrational. I mean, you evolved to feel that way because, you know, these mm. emotions come from when we used to live in small groups. And there wasn't a legal system. And your reputation was important. And now you should just tamp that down and walk away the same way that you know we have lots of kind of emotional inclinations i mean mean, look we evolved we evolved love too doesn't mean we evolved empathy well no of course not but the the question is like on a cool-headed analysis is this worth your while and if it's somebody you're never going to see again Right. Well, so that's the problem the problem is about whether you're going to see them again though it's about what they did this is where Bob Frank's analysis is good, where, where you you being the kind of person who can't be trifled with actually might. Yeah, but mean how's anybody going to find out that that relies on those <sighs> through reputation? And, through and reputation. how is that going to work? If you live in any sort of reasonably sized city, how is anybody going to know who? So the hell do you, you not are? tip? Yeah, well, then why tip in in a why tip when you're in another country and that waiter will never serve you again? Because I think they deserve right. the tip. Right. This the, guy the, deserves – if this guy says something about your wife, they deserve – So, Yoel, you're being, a, you're being a little bit unfair to the position because what you're saying is that it shouldn't, you should never act out of these sentiments when it will get you in trouble because that's irrational. But if someone slights – if someone disrespects you at work, you're probably going to put an end to it right away. Like if a student sort of tries to, to, to one-up you in, in a way that's disrespecting you in front of the rest of your lab, you're going to do something sure. about it. And so I, I don't think it's irrational in that sense. Like if what you're saying is only do it when it's rational and when it's not. The only thing I have to reply to is the system is the system is is buggy and it's hard sometimes to know when exactly it's rational to do it and when it's not. And right, you have question. to build up the habit so that you're and this is what he never did. You have to build up the habit of being able to stand up for yourself when it re, when the chips are down and it really does matter. You can't just turn it on. But, you, but it, it doesn't work that way. You can't just turn it on, right? If you're like, you, you, it's it's like saying you should only be generous when that will come back and people will be generous to you in the future. But if you start out being a, being really stingy, you're just not in the habit of being generous. Well, I mean, I I think there's a difference between feeling the emotion and acting on it. And that I, that emotion comes up, like if somebody insults you or insults somebody you care about, you feel angry. But the question is, do you choose to act on your anger or not? Yeah, yeah, but but you're making that choice all the time, right? It's not just for moments of violence or, or or honor culture, right? If somebody, like I said, if somebody slights you in an academic context, you you sort of respond and you draw your boundary. We have to draw our boundaries all the time in that way, and and I think that it's at the same root that is it's the same feeling of being slighted. Now, sure, you can say, well, I'm not going to be violent about it, but it doesn't mean that you're not responding to these sentiments that are. What's involved. your end goal? Oh, yeah. What are you trying to maximize in this, Yoel? Welfare. The amount of women who like him. So you're <laughs> trying to maximize your total welfare? That's your goal? Well, I, what I'm arguing is that everybody would be better off if we didn't if we didn't see this as a kind of a morally praiseworthy sentiment. Yeah. I don't I don't buy it. But I guess that's maybe because sometimes there I think there are things in addition to welfare that are also worth you know, that are that also have value. And 
so maybe that's where the real disagreement lies. Dave is making a bunch of hand gestures indicating that I think he has to leave. Uh, is that right? Uh, Just as things uh, are starting uh, to get good. Yeah, unfortunately. You know, yeah, this has gone long already, though. I, I actually have to go break someone's legs because <laughs> they, they owe me money. <laughs> can I go punch somebody in the face for insulting my woman? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. All right. Well, so, uh, if this episode ever sees the light of day, uh, thank you for joining us. This was fun. <laughs> thank you for joining us, Joel. No, thanks for having me. This was great. Uh, and, yeah, this, uh, this was fun. I'll, uh, we'll, we'll see you next time with Paul Bloom. For more information about this episode, including show notes and links, and to listen to other episodes, please visit us at www.verybadwizards.com. Just a very bad wizard.